Uh, last Sunday, I went home, and uh, I normally, I, man, I don't know, wash off, lay down, take a break, but I was, still, I was still going through the message, and it was a good Sunday. There were only like 20 people that got mad at me last week. It was awesome. It's not true. Predominantly, we had good feedback, um, but I was asking the Lord in my kitchen as I was kind of stirring around and trying to figure out what I did or didn't want to eat. Um, God, why are we so easily offended? Like, as a, as a nation, or maybe even a, I don't, it feels like a buzzword when I say it, but like a generation full of people, we're just, somebody's always mad about something. It's, so, it's like you, you go places looking for something to get irritated over. Uh, you're, you're just waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing or, play the wrong song or, you know, and, and I wish that it was just subject to like college campuses or Congress, but, but it's not, it's like churchy people are the most easily offended. I mean that as one, like we just, we get mad at everything. Like I, we'll fight over what color the lights are. We'll, we'll fight over what style the song is. Uh, just, just things that don't have. We will fight over whether we sit in pews or chairs. What is wrong with us? Come on, somebody. Help me. Just, just nudge somebody if you're with me today. Tell them to nod for him so he'll move on. We're just so easily. God, why? Why are we so easily offended? And the Lord, like, before I even got it out of my mouth, I just had this thought. He didn't speak to me audibly. It wasn't like... Gabriel the angel showed up and said it's because. No, <laughs> but I, immediately as I asked this question, I heard this. It's because you have way too many idols. And I was like, Whoa. see, I'm only offended by things that I idolize. And, and the Lord just, man, and, and he wasn't just talking to like, I, that wasn't you. God said that to me. I'm just sharing it with you. You're welcome. Have some of this broccoli. Let's eat clean. And See, last week, let me, let me define this real quick because then I, I started thinking, well, what is an idol? Okay, and and the definitions are always subjective, right? I feel like this is a safe definition. An idol is anything that you put your identity in. And people were trying to answer this question for me in first service, and I stopped them. So I'm glad nobody did it today. Um, because they were like, it's anything you worship. It's, it's anything you pray. It's anything. No, no, no. An idol, I think this is very specific. An idol is anything you put your identity in that is not Jesus. I'm not saying that you can't supplement with your family, a spouse, friends, fortune. Like, I don't believe it's more spiritual to be impoverished than it is to be rich. Sorry, I don't. I think God wants to use both. However, he has given you, which has nothing to do with him blessing you. That's another sermon for another day. But we, we tend to be offended by things that we put our identity in. That's why mamas go crazy over kids. Oh, you better touch my kid. Oh, you better just talk about my kid. And that, that's, that's why we have empty nest syndrome. Because, because what we put our identity in, hang on, guys. That's why we get so offended by our money. Because I'm the provider. That's why we get so mad when somebody says something about our woman, you know? Like, and just for the record, don't. <laughs> Like, I like what I do for a living. I don't want to not be here anymore. <laughs> but the reason, I know, but do you see all the things we put our identity in? I'm not saying that those can't be supplemental. But if you put your identity in something that's not Jesus, he, what, hang on, hone in right here. If you put your identity in someone who is not Jesus, you put too much pressure on them. Because they can't be Jesus for you. And the moment that you try to find your security in someone that was not meant to be your security, you overwhelm them and you unappreciate them. It's for you. 
it's too much. You can't, your, your children cannot handle your identity. Your grandchildren definitely can. I love you, hypocrites. I mean, grandparents. <laughs> hey, hey, listen. Academics, athletics, bank accounts, politicians, that doesn't deserve your identity. You can't put your securities there. I'm only offended by things that I idolize. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. I spent too long on that. I was just making sure that we heard it because I didn't want to move on from last week because I believe that last week was setting the stage for what we're moving into this week. Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. You might have heard this before. The Bible says in Jesus' words, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And that was the verse that was laid on my heart. In fact, I did this with first service. I want to invite you for a moment, um, unless you're taking notes or reading your Bible, um, because you legitimately just do not have one, not because you don't know where it is. Uh, <laughs> never mind. I want you to open your clock on your phone, and I want you to set an alarm with us as a church for 610. 6:10. We're going to pray this verse. I was asking the Lord, what time? Because some people pray at 714. That's too late for me. Like, I'm, we're rolling. Um, and you can do in the morning or at night. I've never been a morning person my whole life. And for whatever reason, I am awake at 6 o'clock every stinking day. My wife is at a conference in Houston. I thought that was just something old men did, that they got up early. But and my wife is at a conference in Houston. I have a king-sized bed to myself. Well, didn't you miss her? Not for one night. Come on, somebody. I'm spreading out. <laughs> also notice she's not here yet. So if I want her to know I said that, I'll tell her myself. Thank you. Anyway, so I was, I was resting. She's probably watching right now. Uh, I was resting. Was, I was like, I'm going to sleep in. 540. What the old man is wrong with me right now? Why can't I? I could not go back. I don't mean any ill will towards my elders today. I'm just saying I'm classifying myself at this point. And then what was even sillier was my, my preteen was awake in the kitchen warming up Pop-Tarts. Like she had Pop-Tarts on the brain all night long, y'all, because we don't buy those when mama's home. <laughs> Mama ain't home, though. <laughs> so, who wants Pop-Tarts? <laughs> we do. All right, so that's why they right, love me. Anyways, 610. That's what that whole thing was about, 610. You won't forget. Set an alarm for the next... 40 plus days between now and Easter, we're going to go on a little bit of a journey as a church, a 40 plus day prayer challenge. Listen, if you mix, if you miss 610 a.m. or p.m., doesn't matter to me, then just pray. I don't care. Well, I missed it. I may as well not. No, that's dumb. <laughs> and the devil trying to distract you and discourage you. Just pray when you think, oh, I missed it. Okay, pray, pray. You're covered. You're a part of a family, right? Because my children are a part of a family. They get to reap the rewards of the prayers that I'm praying. You're a part of a family. But we want you to pray with us. In fact, I'm going to ask you to do something I've never asked you to do before. I want you to buy a book or Kindle. Draw the circle. One of our Assembly of God pastors wrote a book several years ago called Circle Maker. Um, I actually read that book. Um, I, I wrote some things in that book that are still coming to pass. Um, I have an eight-year-old son who was not conceived at the time, whose name I wrote in the book and circled it in that season. Um, I want to invite you, this is the sequel, put that, if we have the picture, draw the circle of this book by Mark. It's a 40, it's plus day prayer challenge, okay? And if you've already done it, okay, let's, let's, let's slow down a little bit. If you've read this before, we did it as a staff, we've already done it, we're going to kind of go back through it ever so slightly, I believe that this will be transformational for us to every day stop and pray. What are we praying? Your kingdom come. At 610, we're going to pray Matthew 610. I was going to do 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. But I, I decided to stick with this one. 
because this is what we've been preaching since November. And I want to ask you and invite you to come with us. But as I was considering, if you will put uh, Matthew 6.10 back up there, as I was considering Matthew 6.10, your kingdom come, your will be done, of all the things that the disciples could have asked Jesus for help with, right? Help me, Lord, teach us to worship. Lord, teach us to serve. Lord, teach us to give. And he did all those things. But they come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. I want you to notice that Jesus did not go straight to pray this way. God, have your will in this forsaken fallen. Jesus didn't say, pray this way. God, provide for me so I can pay this bill and have this and be successful and write Philippians 4.13 on my cheek and give you glory if I hit a home run and throw my bat and act like an idiot if I strike out. I may know somebody who's done it. It's not what he said. He said, pray this way, our Father, who is in heaven, holy. That's what hallowed means. It's an, ex- it's an extended expression of his holiness. Holy, 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 like the angels cry, is your name. Holy is your name. And then the Lord told me this as I was writing this message. Because my kingdom can only come where my holiness is revered. Why don't I sense the presence of God in my house? Because you don't revere his holiness. Why don't I sense the presence of God in my heart? Because, you're, because, because you don't revere his holiness. My kingdom can only come where my holiness is revered. See, you don't have verse 10 without verse 9. You can't pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven unless you have given glory to the one who sits on the throne and then ask. See, we're not going, watch, we're not going into a 40-day prayer challenge so that we can get God to do what we want. We're going into a 40-day prayer challenge because we want to discover what God wants. That's the purpose of prayer. It's not to get his spirit to align with mine. It's to get my spirit to align with his. Psalm 89, verse 7. The Bible says, God is greatly to be feared. God is greatly to be feared. Oh, look, in the assembly of the saints. I believe a long time ago, the Lord spoke to me pretty clearly, and he said, you tell my people that until my presence is revered amongst them, it will never be revered anywhere else. See, what some people will do that we're going to get so frustrated about over the next few days is really just an expression of the apathy and the lack of reverence in the hearts of the people of God. We get mad at what's happening in the earth and God is just waiting for us to acknowledge what he wants to do in us let judgment begin in the house of God if God's people don't fear him if God's people don't revere him then we can never expect anybody else to do the same God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of the saints and to be held in reverence by all of those around him. To be held in reverence by all of those around him. Come on, we need, we so desperately need, we need a return to reverence. Come on, I'm not talking, yeah, Congress needs a return to reverence. Colleges need a return to, everybody's posting what's happening at Asbury University right now. Praise God. You know what's happening? They recognize what God wants to do. Everybody across the state of Louisiana, man, what's happening in Eunice? How are you building that? How are you doing? I'm not doing anything. People are recognizing what God wants to do. God is not waiting waiting on us to to beg and plead for him to move he's moving he's waiting on us to recognize what he's doing and actually revere his 
presence. Come on. We need a return to reverence in the churches. We need a return to reverence in God's people. You worry about your heart. He'll use you to minister to their heart. I ain't even got time to preach how much more important ministry is than accountability. You don't get to hold people accountable that you hadn't ministered to. Come on, somebody. We minister first, develop a relationship, and then we can, I ain't even supposed to be preaching that. Ministry comes first. We need a return to reverence that will outlast emotionalism. I'll try that. I'll just keep going. We need a return to reverence that will outlast a service. We need a return to reverence that will outlast a season. Well, you know, I used to. Yeah, I know, but now you don't, and I don't understand why. We need a return to reverence that will go beyond buildings and worship centers and sanctuaries. We need a return to reverence that that won't just be a bunch of sheep hopping from shepherd to shepherd and field to field. Come on, can I? We need a return to reverence that will spark legitimate revival. What does that mean? It means the dead, it will rise and the lost will be found. It means that people will be filled and ultimately we will fear the name of the Lord as the assembly of the saints and we will revere him. Because we're around him, not just in a worship center. I watched, I stood in the back and watched during the first song. And I've noticed it normally takes us about two songs to get warmed up, which is fine. I do the same thing sometimes. But I watched and I realized that we as a church still revere athletes LSU athletics academics famous people and political figures way more than we do the spirit of God because if if a famous athlete walked into this room you wouldn't stand here like this Well, I just don't worship that way unless my child hits the ball. I just don't worship that way unless somebody's celebrating me. I just don't worship that way unless I win the lottery. Help me. Most of us put influence, social media influencers on a higher pedestal than we do Jesus. And by the way, here's how you can know. If you listen to what they say over what he's already said, then you're putting them on a pedestal that they don't deserve. It doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world does. Nobody deserves the platform of my Savior. And we cannot be more impressed with famous people or temporary accolades than we are the spirit of the living God because my Bible says I believe it's in Hebrews chapter 12 that he walks in the midst of the congregation so while you're folding your arms and you're scoffing because you don't really like the tune of that song Jesus is walking in the midst of the congregation singing praises and also by the way still roaming to and fro to look for someone who will actually authentically love him. If you would clap because a political figure walks in, whether it be John Bell Edwards or Mike Johnson, maybe I ain't named your guy or your woman yet, but if they would walk in and you would clap, then you should stand to attention whenever the Holy Spirit is waving his arms through the room. The Bible says this isn't even this. I got to keep going. Leviticus chapter 10, verse 3. It says, Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke to me. By those who come near me, I must. Everybody say, I must. 
I must be regarded as holy. Well, God is, God is just kinder than you. God is just, he's just more patient. God understands me. Well, God is grace. God is mercy. God is love. You're right. He is. And he's also holy. And he's just. By the way, you can't have love without justice. Because if you have love and you don't have justice, then anything goes. And the people that deserve justice get left out. So God is love, but he is holy. And in his presence, he is to be regarded as holy. The Bible says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. Draw unto God and God will draw unto you. So again, we're not waiting on God to move. You know what happened at Asbury University? Same thing has been happening here for the last seven years. People began to draw unto God. And when people began to draw unto God and recognize what he's been wanting to do that whole time, then he begins to reveal himself. Moses says, I must be regarded. And then the Lord said to me, and before all the people, I must be glorified. Before all the people, I must be glorified. I was reading one of David's songs in First Chronicles when they ushered in the presence of God in the Ark of the Covenant. And I saw this phrase, so I looked it up in Scripture, and I began to try to memorize some of these psalms just to make sure that I was on the same page as the heart that David had when he wasn't. Anyways, I just wanted to be, I wanted my heart to be right with the Lord. And this psalm, it's not in your notes, came to my attention. It was really easy to memorize, so I just started quoting it. Psalm 29, verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord, the glory do his name. Oh, I'm about to preach myself into something. Ascribe, give to the, show the Lord, the glory do his name. So if you believe that he's Alpha and Omega, if you believe that he's beginning and the end, if you believe that he is Jireh provider, Shalom, peace, Nisi, my banner, if you believe in Elohim, if you believe that he is forever, 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 Yahweh, then you can't help but to ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. And I don't know what causes you to be excited. I don't know if it's more money in your account or more accolades by men. But until you begin to put, I didn't preach it this way in first service. I'm trying to wake somebody up today. Until you begin to put your identity in the only one that will last forever, then we as God's people will always be left wanting and the world will always be left wondering. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. I just don't worship that way unless my son makes a hole in one. Oh, Ascribe, here, here's what the Lord told me to tell the church. God does not reveal himself where he is not revered. I'm not angry. I'm actually hurting my throat. God does not reveal himself. It's not that he's not there. Do you remember, this is for you. Do you remember when Elisha was standing on a hillside and he saw the armies of men, I believe it was the Syrian army, coming against him. And Elisha said, greater are those who are with us than those who are with them or who come against us. And the prophet's son in the faith, most scholars believe it to be Gehazi, was standing right there and he couldn't see it. He was right there. It's like when we come in, oh, I didn't feel it. Okay, Gehazi. Elisha said, those who are with us are greater than those who come against us or those who are with them. And the, and the one standing right next to him said, this dude's lost it. He's crazy. He's just too passionate. <laughs> and then Elisha prays. 
What did he pray? God, open up his eyes. And then he saw. God reveals himself where his presence is revered. If we want his kingdom to come, then we must revere his holiness. I'm not talking about being afraid. I don't want my son to be afraid of me. Oh, but he better fear me. Why? Because I know what God has for him. And I know what the devil has for him. And I want to train him and my daughters. I want to train them to have a healthy fear because they used to be unafraid of things that could really hurt them, but just for temporary purposes. <laughs> I don't know if I should tell this or not. All right, I'm not going to say any names. <laughs> but there was this team. This is a true story, no names. There was this team that was traveling, and their vehicle broke down. And so they were waiting on transportation to arrive. And it was a team full of guys. Girls are not this stupid. <laughs> so they go into uh, a pawn shop, which is the worst place for a group of guys to go in, period. And in the pawn shop, there was a gun laying on the counter. And one of the guys just assumed that it was like a gun that had been left out that was being sold by the pawn shop. But they didn't have a healthy fear. And they picked up the gun and were looking at it, and bang, it went off. Now, I would not tell you that story if somebody was permanently damaged by that moment because that would be a little too intense for where I was wanting to go right now. It went through the counter, through the wall, through the safe. He put it down and they all left. <laughs> it's like a healthy fear. If you don't have reverence for it, then you don't understand how badly it can hurt you. It's like fire. I don't just jump in. I like my skin. It's like heights. I'm not really afraid of heights, but I can't fly. And I don't want to die. Come on, somebody. That's just... I, when I was younger, I used to see that red flag waving at the beach, and I was like, get a boogie board. <laughs> but I'm not that dumb anymore. So now when I see the red flag, I'm like, hey, we can't go in the water today. Why? Because daddy's a bum and doesn't want to have any fun. No, because I don't want you to drown. It's a healthy fear. But you don't have a healthy fear and so now you're open to the enemy's attack. Hang on, hone in with me. A healthy fear doesn't change depending upon where we are. So, look, and I, let me just disclaimer. I have nothing against family. I have nothing against fun. I have nothing against celebrations. What I'm against is sin, because sin separates you from the Father and from the Father's will. So what I think is that we should have a healthy fear, whether it's Resurrection Sunday or Fat Tuesday. In other words, God doesn't change his mind whether we're in the sanctuary or on Second Street. A healthy fear is a healthy fear. Oh, hang on. God doesn't change his mind whether it's Sunday morning or Friday night. I love my wife. I love her. More than, I love her more now than I did the, the, when we first had the stupid puppy dog feelings for one another. Because that's not even love. That's emotion. And emotion doesn't last. Love commits. I ain't got time to preach that today. But I don't not cheat on her just because I love her. That's not enough. I do love her. I don't want to hurt her like that. But I'm faithful to her because I fear him. Because I know the cost of what it would look like to not live for Jesus. 
I don't not cheat in my finances or manipulate money because I'm scared of our board. I do what I'm supposed to do financially because I fear God. I revere him. I'm afraid of who I am. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of who I am apart from him. That's the only thing I'm scared of. I'm afraid of what my wife would have to go through if I were to stop. I'm afraid of what my children would have to endure if I were to stop revering him. I'm going to spare you one story and go straight to another. Moses was on Mount Sinai, and he met with the presence of the Lord. And the Lord sent him down to the people, and he said to the people, consecrate yourself for the next three days, and then I will come down and meet with you. And they began to consecrate themselves. And then the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord began to come down upon the mountain, and the people began to back up. Why? Because they were afraid, not because they feared. Why were they afraid? Because they didn't consecrate themselves. Moses was consecrated. He was excited. They're about to get to experience what I've, begin, what I've been able to experience. And then when God really began to move, they said, no, 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 Moses. Moses, you talk to God for us, and we'll do whatever he tells you to tell us to do. And they didn't do it. Why? Because they never feared him. When did we come to a place where we, could, we were content to let other people pursue God's presence for us? Maybe it was the same time when we came to a satisfied place of just being willing to pay people to do ministry for us. That's a healthy fear. Why did, don't answer this out loud because you'll be wrong and then you'll be embarrassed and everybody around you will know that you said something that wasn't right. Why did God deliver the Israelites from Egypt? Why did he pull them out of Egypt? Don't answer out loud. Why did God... Tell Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go. I would think my response would have been because he wanted to send them to the promised land. Don't say right. Because it's wrong. Because when Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, Pharaoh, my God told me to tell you, let my people go. He said, so that they can worship me in the wilderness. The promised land was not the point. The presence was the point. God's presence doesn't change whether we're in the world or in a worship center. God's presence does not change whether we're on the mountain or in the valley. God's presence does not change whether we're rich or giving ourselves unjustified fruition because we're impoverished. God's presence does not change whether you're in a sanctuary or second street. God's presence remains the same no matter where we are. And we need to revere his presence. I was a youth pastor for close to a decade, and Pastor Weston was way better at it than I. So when I became a lead pastor, I hired him. And Kelsey's better than both of us, so he'd have never been here if he wouldn't have married her. But anyways, it <laughs> When I was first a youth pastor, and I don't recommend this, it's just an example that my wife reminded me of not too long ago. When I was first a youth pastor, I had this incredible guitar. It was a composite acoustic, CA from Lafayette, Louisiana. They sold out to PV because they made a bunch of money on it, and the original guitars are the best. They're not worth as much anymore today, unless it's an original. I had a composite acoustic cutaway with a red crown of thorns around the middle of the hole. It was a beautiful guitar. It sounded like poo plugged into a system, but it was amazing. Now I have a McPherson, which sounds good both ways. And so I would never do with my composite McPherson what I did with this guitar. But one night, I was leading worship, and uh, as a youth pastor, and I had, man, we were killing it. We had like 30 students in a town of 30,000. It was terrible, okay? And, and I was looking at those 30 students. We had some guests that night. I don't even know why they came, but one of them, we'd been praying he'd be there. He was sitting on the front row, and, and they were all just, I was like, guys, I was giving it all I had, and, I, and I've since discovered that you can't make people worship. But at the time, somebody told me, Chris, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And I said, yeah, but I can run that sucker in the field so far that he will drag me back to that water bucket and drink with me whether he wanted to or not. And so that was my... <laughs> Don't do this, okay? 
So I'm on the platform, I'm playing my guitar. My, my youth leader, who is the most amazing keyboard musician in the area, his name's Jason Sutton, he's helping me. We're leading worship. And all this, I was just looking at him, and I was just like, I was sick of being stared at. Like one night, I got these kids to worship. Have y'all ever heard of calling the hogs? Okay, if you happen to be like bored out of your mind and have absolutely nothing else to do next football season, watch an Arkansas game for a minute. (laughs) I was like, Blaine, yes, about the football thing, unless we're playing Arkansas. And they do this thing, they do it three times. Something wrong with these people. If you happen to be watching, because, hey, look, we still love you. Just not during football season. (laughs) Or baseball, except for Corey Webb. I do love you, bro. Uh, So anyways, so one night I was like, you know what, guys? I'm going to set them up. I was like, I'm going to let y'all call the hogs. I let them do it twice. Woo, pig suey. Woo, pig suey. They got up the third time and said, woo. I said, now leave your hands up for Jesus. And we started worshiping. It was awesome. Awesome. I got frustrated that night. They weren't, they just, because love is an expression, not an emotion. And so I got frustrated. I just took my guitar off, composite guitar. Boom, I dropped it on the stage. Took it off, dropped it. It just reverberated through the speakers. Everybody within here was like, hey, oh, what's wrong with him? They all looked at me, and for the next 25 minutes, I let them have it. Now, two things. Number one, I shouldn't have handled that that way. That was like that time that Moses came off the mountain and broke the tablets that God just gave him. Why you think God made him inscribe them over on his own? Because God said, I didn't tell you go lose your attitude. And that guy that was sitting on the front row that was there that night never came back again. I will never forget. That's why to this day, I don't respond that way with people. That even when, that, that night is the reason that you will hear me say, if I feel like I'm preaching angry, I try to come down. I'm like, hey, if, listen, if you're a guest here, it's a, I'm not mad. I promise I'm not mad because I want you to come back next week <laughs> because that guy never came back again. I don't know whether he's saved or going to hell. I'm not sure. I just know that I had a chance and I blew it. You take that same group of students after about a year of us learning together and we go to this winterfuge. This event, Pastor Weston was pastoring in God's country, Shreveport, and uh, (laughs) he brought his students. Pastor Johnny Hunt, our mentor, came and brought his students. We all had students in the room, and the first night, it was kind of like the first song on a Sunday, you know, just kind of getting, what are we doing here? What's going to happen? Second day, whatever, something took place, and all of a sudden, these students, just one by one, they, did, they weren't slain in the spirit. It wasn't like the Benny Hinn wave, you know. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but they, they just began to, to lay down in the floor, began to worship. And, and God, like you just, all of a sudden, it wasn't that God wasn't already there. It was that they just began to recognize what he wanted to do in their lives. And one by one, they just began to lay down across the room until there was nobody praying. I'm sorry, there was nobody playing a keyboard. There was nobody, because the sound, the people in the sound booth were laying on the floor. I was like, where'd the sound guys go? So they're like, they're laying in the floor. And, and those students and everybody, every leader, all of us, we, I was like, God, I'm done. We just stopped. And some of you just thought, man, I'd love to be in a service like that. No, 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 no. You don't get that when somebody builds it for you. You can have that when you learn how to pray every day on your own. You can have that when you learn how to worship every day on your own. You will have that when you learn how to revere the presence of God on your own. Isaiah chapter 11, verse two, it says, the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. Who is him? Jesus. Remember when Jesus came? He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach the good news, to set the captive free. This is Isaiah's prophecy. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. Because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Oh, I got it. Did you know that you don't have to learn from consequence? Did you know that our Bible speaks of a Holy Spirit 
who will remind you of the words of Jesus, guide you into all truth, and tell you of the things that are yet to come? If you fear him, if you'll listen to his voice, did you know your children? Oh, man, you want to fire me up? Say something ignorant like, well, you know, they got to they gotta learn from their own mistakes. Guys, look, I don't have time for my kids to go through what I went through and le- relearn the lessons I've already learned. I paid for those scars because Jesus paid for my sin. They don't, have to, they don't have to make the same mistakes as me. I have to teach them how to hear from the one that will tell them what to do when nobody else knows. I have to help them learn how to obey the voice no matter what other voice is speaking on the outside of them. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom is making the right decision without having to go through the consequence of the wrong one that's what it is you know why you can't tell your kids what to do because you don't know you know why we can't train them because we're not trying we work 40 hours a week and then give them our leftovers oh I'm just too tired at the end of my day and we wonder what's wrong with this generation All these young people today are a byproduct of who we have been for the last 20 years. A fear of the Lord. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of knowledge. And of the fear of the Lord. When we first got here, it was funny because people started attending services and then they'd leave and come back or whatever. And, and some people were like, oh, I heard, like somebody said this to me. We well, you know, over there preaching like Joel Osteen. Like somebody read a text to me. And they were like, look, this is what this other person said that goes to this church. Oh, over there at that New Hope with that ear tickler. I was like, the next time they tell you that, Invite them to come with you and use these words. Get you some. (laughs) I, I, I love mercy. So does God. But I love justice. I want my children to be happy. I want you to be happy. But even if you're not happy... I pray to God that you learn how to be holy. Because the Bible says in verse 3 of Isaiah chapter 11, his delight, who? Jesus. Jesus' delight was in the fear of the Lord. Why? Because the fear of the Lord was the foundation of their relationship. Hang on. Adam, listen to me. Woman. Listen to me. Her name wasn't Eve before the fall. She was called woman, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. That was an indication of who God created her to be. By the way, you were were created for companionship with God Almighty, first and foremost. Not leadership, companionship. I ain't got time to preach all that today. Adam, every man looked this way. Woman, with Adam, every woman looked this way. Why did they sin? The Bible says they walked with God in the cool of the afternoon. God was right there. Why did they sin? Because they didn't fear him. Because their delight may have been in his presence, but it wasn't in a healthy fear of who God is. And so just like us, they listened to the enemy. Did you know that the presence of the Lord is not subject to how many people are around you. We should fear his, right here, we should fear his presence when we're on our phone. We should fear his presence when we're on that app. Why do I not look at things that I'm not supposed to? Why do I not send messages through my direct messenger or my DM? Why do I not do things on Snapchat? Because I won't get found out? No. Because I fear God. Have I made mistakes over the last 25 years? Absolutely. 
but my delight. And don't you think if it's Jesus' delight, don't you think it should be our delight? Our delight is, is his delight is in the fear of the Lord. Oh, you want me to show you New Testament? Philippians chapter 2. Paul said it this way. Work out your salvation daily in fear and trembling. Wait, I thought I could just repeat a prayer and receive salvation. You can. Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But only those who abide in me shall bear fruit. So we work out our salvation daily in fear and in trembling. You ever been at work all day long or just on a project all day and or just been going and running, maybe just driving? You ever exhausting a trip is and you get home after like several hours, you just feel dirty? You know, I mean, it could have had something to do with all those gas station toilets, but let's just assume we drove all the way. You just still, you just feel like, whoa, I just need a shower. Right, and then you get out and you're like, oh, I feel so much better. It's like when you first gave your life to Jesus or when you respond to God's word or you give your life over and, and, and you, it, was, it was exhausting. It's like freedom conference, oh, like you're exhausted. But then at the end of it, you're like, but I just feel so clean. You know why that is? Psalm chapter 19, verse nine, because the fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. Yeah, his mercy endures forever. They're made new every morning. You have an advocate in Christ Jesus that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. He's all of those things. He's love and grace and mercy. He is, but Jim Baker. Anybody remember Jim Baker? Wave at me so I'll know. Stephen Furtick. Everybody know Stephen Furtick? Okay, Jim Baker was the Stephen Furtick of the 1980s. There you go. You're welcome. All right, if you don't know who Stephen Furtick is, I don't know. Uh, this is a Bible, and then this is a phone, and you can open up YouTube. And within about 10 minutes, if you put these together, you'll probably see a sermon by that guy. T.D. Jakes, I don't know, whatever. It's whoever your person is. Jim Baker, 80s, 90s. I remember this. He went to jail for 45 years for fraud, mismanagement of finances, and all sorts of issues where he was laundering money through a ministry. 45 years. He reads John Bevere's book. I think it's called A Call, to Will, A Call in the Wilderness. He reads the book and he has his assistant call John Bevere. And John Bevere's office answers and gets in touch with him like, hey, Jim Baker wants you to come visit him. He's like, I thought he was in jail. He is. Oh. <laughs> so Jim Baker flies John Bevere to the prison. He comes in and he sits in, the, he sits in his presence and they, they begin to have this conversation. Jim says, hey, did you write this book? He's like, yes, I did. He's like, it wasn't just, it's not just mostly yours with your name on it. He's like, no, I wrote it. And Jim Baker says, I need... I needed to talk to the person that wrote this book because I needed to let them know what this wilderness has done for, for me. And Jim Baker tells John Bevere, see, most people would look at this moment in prison as punishment, right? This is God's judgment. I'm being exposed. Some of you are looking at your situation right now as God's judgment for your sin. Whatever you're stuck in, whatever's holding you back, whatever's overwhelming you, you're looking at it and go, well, that's because, you know, God's judging me right now because of what I did. Jim Baker said, John, I need you to understand, this is not God's judgment on my life. This is God's mercy. This is God's mercy on my life. Jim Baker said, because if I were not in this prison right now, and God would have allowed me to continue in that direction, I would have spent eternity in hell. This is God's grace for my life. This is God's grace for my life. And so John Bevere asked Jim Baker, and this is his story. John said, Jim, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? When did you fall? Y'all look at me, Miss Helen, sit down for a second. John, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And Jim Baker says, I, I've, I've always loved Jesus. 
And now John Bevere's like irritated. I mean, like the rest of the Christians at that time. This guy, liar, manipulator, you know, fraud, money launderer. And so John Bevere looks back at Jim Baker and he goes, Jim, you had an adulterous affair in the 80s. Everybody found out about it. You laundered money all through your ministry, millions of dollars, and you're in prison for the next 45 years. Now, they did lower his sentence, but you're in prison for money laundering. You had to have fallen out of love with Jesus. He goes, no, John, I never fell out of love with Jesus. Hear me. Jim Baker said, I always loved Jesus. I just didn't fear him. And when I heard John Bevere say that, my mind was blown because he just described 90% of the church. Because God is love. He is truth. He is mercy. He is gracious. But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28, I'm closing with this. I'm going to pray over you. The Bible says, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, yeah, let us have grace. What is the grace for? Guys, you were not created for heaven. You weren't delivered from sin so you could go to heaven. You were delivered from sin for his presence. Jesus died on the cross so you could worship him. Jesus died on the cross so you had access to the Holy of Holies right here on earth. It's why I clap. It's why I sing. It's why I lift my hands because I cannot afford for another generation of young men to think that worship is something that women do. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, it doesn't matter what happens in Washington. I got to keep going. Let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. With reverence and godly fear. No matter the day or the time of year. Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 says this, because our God is an all-consuming fire. Ascribe to him the glory due his name.